Hey, Jordan. How's it going? Hi, great. Thanks. Great to be here. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, so today on the uh, Data Nerd Herd, we have uh, Jordan Tigani. For people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Sure. Yeah, I'm the Chief Product Officer at Single Store. Uh, I was one of the first engineers on Google BigQuery. Uh, I ended up leading the product team uh, and the engineering team at, at various times at Google. I wrote two books about BigQuery, um, but for the last 18 months have been uh, have been for, focused on helping Single Store uh, become the next uh, the next great database. That's so cool. Yeah, I actually uh, use your um, BigQuery the definitive guide in one of my classes and um, use BigQuery a ton. So thanks for uh, thanks for BigQuery. Awesome. In, in the book, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. So walk me through this. I mean, you know, um, it seems like you you got a very deep history in data. Like, how did you get into technology and data in general? Um, yeah, so I I started in uh, I was actually an electrical engineering major in in college. I got I got my start at, uh, at Microsoft working on the uh, helping them figure out how to test stuff that they'd never tested before uh, in the in the kernel level, the hardware abstraction layer. I worked on a lot of really low level stuff and uh, ended up in Microsoft Research, you know, working on stuff that would help detect when bad things happened. And we ended up working with some really large data sets because we were taking some like large um, instruction level traces of what what programs were doing, and that sort of that was kind of an early introduction into big into big data. Um, the, and um, that team actually went on to get reorged into a team that was called Red Dog, and that became Microsoft Azure. And uh, and so I could have been there for the for the the dawn of uh, of Microsoft's cloud. Oh, wow. But then I'm like, oh no, this is too like too newfangled. Um, it's going to take way too long to get that out the door. And so I left, and I I joined a couple startups. Um, you know, one was a very small startup doing ad targeting, you know, machine learning based ad targeting, and also kind of helped me realize that um, you don't have to be a big company to have large data sets because we were, you know, we were getting I think it was terabytes of data per day, and uh, and trying to process that those terabytes of data per day. Uh, was a was a hard problem and a hard problem in you know the 2000 2008 or something 2006 uh, a lot of the sort of the big data tools that we have now were not yet available Hadoop was sort of just getting getting off the ground um, then I ended up at at Google and so like I was really a big fan of like stream processing systems uh, I, I think uh, you know streams are kind of an amazing way to kind of to think about data and to think about how think about computation on uh, it's sort of amazing what you can do in streams and so i was i wanted to work on uh there's a stream processing tool that google had um it's called flume internally it ended up becoming uh data flow uh, apache beam mm. um then i got sort of reorged into another uh pulled off that to work on a data marketplace and as this team sat around trying to figure out how to how to build a data marketplace um we're like well we, we don't want to just have a have a download link. We want to be able to do something with the data. And SQL is relationally complete, so you can compute anything in SQL, but it's not Turing complete. So at least it will it will terminate. And uh, and so we build. So the thing that we built was basic was BigQuery. Uh, and you know, so the early days of BigQuery, we were thinking, okay, next quarter we will build a data marketplace. And it took you know in ten years in in ten years really literally next quarter we would, we would build the, the data marketplace. Uh, on on top of that, but um, you know that it was a, we had a great great ride. You know, BigQuery um, you know went from a sort of this small small project with a few users to you know a point where it could uh, uh, you know if it went down 
you know, major major banks would not be able to close their books, um, and uh, uh, so it was uh, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was quite a, quite a success story, um, and uh, and so you know, j- jumping forward to, to today, then then uh, you know, single store, um, which was then Mem sequel, uh, you know, contacted me about a um, about a job. I'm like, wow, these guys look like look like where BigQuery was three years ago. Uh, you know, great technology. Doing really interesting hard things, and um, and so I, you know, I made the made the jump, and um, you know, have been. Uh, uh, I, I, we're doing some really really cool things, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll be even bigger. That's awesome. I mean, what 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 is what what's the um, what's the mission of Single Store? Uh, the mission of Single Store is is to uh, officially sort of bringing modern modern data together. Um, the, you know, really we want to take, we want to be the, the one database that you, that you're going to need. And there's kind of two ways of, of looking at it. One is on the, the analytics side and the other on, on the transaction side. Like they, a lot of people say it's impossible to build a database that can do both, both transactions and analytics in the same, in the same database. I think we can, we, we, you know, you can run TPCC on, on single store, get really great transactional um, transactional results um, and then you can run TPCH TPCDS on single store which is you know basically large scale um, and complex analytics um, so we, we do have a database that works really well in both in both cases on the analytics side we're really good at fast analytics low latency analytics high concurrency analytics real-time analytics streaming analytics so those types of things which are which are important for a lot of organizations um, and uh, you know, people that want faster dashboards, they want they want to be able to make data driven decisions more quickly. Uh, you know, these are all things that we can help you when you come from the analytics side. When you come from the transactional side, there's actually really some really interesting um, space there because a lot of the things you do in an in, like in an interesting application, um, and, and I mean not just sort of a WordPress like you know simple application, but something you want to you want to build something that's going to do things that are hard. You end up using a lot of databases, and and so I noticed this actually when I was I was at a startup in um, I don't know it was 2000, 2006. and um, you know we started out with sharded MySQL, and you know single single box MySQL wasn't wasn't cutting it. We started we went to sharded MySQL, but there's a lot of types of queries you can't run against sharded MySQL because you can't really do anything that combines the various shards, and. Um, and so we did all kinds of like caching stuff in memory. Um, and then we had, um, we were using Solar, which is sort of a, a predecessor of, of Elasticsearch. And, um, and we were trying to, we wanted to do kind of geo, geo search to find, you know, restaurants that were restaurants near me, for example. But we wanted also the results to be influenced by, by like who your friends were. Um, so it was kind of a social network plus, um, plus, plus Yelp kind of, kind of thing. Um, that's really hard to do because the who your friends were was in a relational database, and then who your you know what restaurants were around was was a um, was a you know full text search uh, inverted index um, database, and trying to combine those two was incredibly difficult, and um, and so uh, you know and then and then of course like you know we're the stuff that we're the torturing that we were trying to do to the database was was all very slow, so we had all this in memory cache. And um, you know, we also wanted to have flexible schemas. So we kind of tried to shoehorn that into the one database, you know, 
more modern version, we would have used Mongo or something, but like lots of different databases and lots of complexity to try to, to try to manage the, manage the scale, manage the kind of consistency, cache and validation, all those types of things. And, uh, and so single store can be the one database they can replace all of those databases. So it can do full text search. You can do, you know, large scale analytics. You can do, uh, you know, at a high concurrency. So uh, like applications where you have a user waiting, um, uh, you know, has different has different latency requirements than when you're building it a, a report that has to has to go to your CEO tomorrow morning, or you, know, you have a you have a, an analyst that's sort of like refreshing a dashboard and it's okay if they wait 60 seconds but like if you're building an application you want you want results in in you know 200 milliseconds and every every other every 100 milliseconds actually you lose some sort of users users attention and so because single store can um, um, you know because of actually the architecture we can we can kind of deliver those types of things that that, that seem like analytic queries uh, in an application setting for your for end users and, and get those you know in in you know tens or hundreds of milliseconds. Um, so I guess it was a sort of a long a long uh, a long response is like but but I think you know we can help you collapse all of those databases down to down to one you know dramatically simplifying your your application and I think as applications you know you want to do more in a modern application you want to do more stuff. And um, and so if you use it, if you use single store, then you know we can help you do that you know more easily. So you can focus on you know making your application successful, doing the hard things in your application, rather than figuring out how to make the data uh, fast enough and get the right data that you need in the right place at the right time. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, and it definitely kind of speaks to. There's definitely uh, you've hit on it. There's definitely a big argument right now in the in the data world, like one database to rule them all, or do we just go for you know a dozen different databases? Um, and I don't know if the argument's um, been entirely settled yet. But but walk me through the, the what are the technical challenges of, of coming up with a, a sort of a single point solution for um, for a database that can operate both transactionally and analytically. Uh, you know, I think, you know, there was, you know, you're, you're right that there has been this sort of like fracturing of the database market into like, okay, we have a database for this, we have a database for that, we have a time series database, yeah. we have a graph database, we have, you know, all uh, full text search database, you have all these different databases. And, um, and I think, you know, Amazon, for example, has made a ton of money selling you like, you know, the, the tool for the job, you know, you have lots of different, right. you know, the, I don't know how many databases they have. I don't done. know. <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> Thousands. Yeah, it seems, yeah. like, it seems like new ones are coming out every every day. Um, but I think if you're if you're building an application, like it just makes it harder on on developers to know to know what's the right thing to do for their application. And and you know when when an, when you start building an application, you don't always know what all of the things you're going to need to do. And so if you make some of the wrong choices, that's how you that's how you lead to having to do multiple multiple databases. Um, so I believe that there's there's a benefit to, um, to 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 consolidation. Now, from a technical perspective, it's you know the reason that all these different databases exist is because it's hard to, you know, the it's hard to build a, the, the the single database that can do all of these things. It's hard to build a database that can do you know full text search as well as relational as well as semi structured, um, and uh, and it's a little bit like I think when you know when you know, the early days of the sort of the big data era when, you know, big, 
big data caused this big freak out and everybody's trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this with you know the the increase in increase in scale and you know there's a couple of papers came out of Google uh you know MapReduce uh GFS etc that um you know allowed people to think about the problem differently and if you think about the problem differently then you can actually you can actually get better scale and uh the problem was like people don't want to think about the problem differently or it's or it's like thinking about the problem differently is hard uh, you know MapReduce helped people you know it helped people scale out but like splitting things into a MapReduce map and reduce phase like that's 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 quite quite difficult and kind of abandoning the kind of the things that people had been doing or the ways the ways that people had been doing was um you know meant that they that they you know something was something was actually lost so i think one of the things you've seen in the and certainly on the analytics side is a move away from sort of MapReduce style uh computation and back to sql uh and oh, yeah. i think you know you you know the pure pure hadoop is is not doing so well but you know d- data warehouses bigquery uh snowflake uh and even you know spark databricks spark sql uh, are doing are doing much better because then people can take the tools that they used to, and the ways of of thinking that they used to use applying those to, to large scale data now on the on the da- on the database side you haven't seen that as much you've seen you know you've you've seen the initial step the um we have to do things differently the kind of the on the NoSQL side and um, you know Mongo, Cassandra, etc. Um, and uh, we haven't necess- we haven't yet seen that people are are kind of banging their heads against against those and needing something different. Except in the um, in the in the in all these in these in all these specialized specialized databases. And and I believe that the reason that they we haven't seen the consolidation. Is just because the the technology hasn't been there to uh, to unify those. Whereas on the on the data warehouse side, we do have the technology and the, to to kind of to pull things back into into the SQL model, uh, you know, with strong consistency and and acid acid, you know, et cetera. Um, and I think we're just getting the tech that we need on the on the transactional side. So the, so the I think the bet that we're making in single store is that there is a there's a desire for you know, not having to not having to do this, and and we believe that the tech that we have is strong enough that lets you do those in one place. That's really interesting insight. Like, say, so I know in the data world, it, the common refrain is that um, data is getting a lot of inspiration from the software world, right? So you get data ops, ML ops, borrowing from DevOps, which is pretty old at this point, but. At the same time, it seems like the databases, you know, in the analytics space, at least, or um, there's a lot of involvement, right? But, mm-hmm. but wait, am I am I reading you right when you're saying that maybe the the transactional side of the house uh, with databases isn't evolving as rapidly as the analytics side? Um, I think it's not it's not consolidating. It's it's evolving mm-hmm. in different in different directions, and I think that mm-hmm. you, there's more things that people want to do, and you know, I think there's. You know, companies like Mongo have been able to keep pushing the, you know, evolving their the NoSQL model enough to to sort of make it good enough that people are are sticking with it. Um, but I think you know you are, you run into sort of architectural limitations, and and everybody is is slapping on like a SQL like layer to what they're doing, like some sort of query query language. Um, 
And, and I think that, you know, at some point people are going to start to realize is, Hey, you know, these, these, these things are, are like SQL. Why don't we just use SQL? And, um, and, you know, sort of the new SQL databases, I, I, I think are, um, are sort of ripe for getting, getting more adoption. And I think, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of hurdles that have to be overcome. There's lots of kind of, uh, you know, ease, ease of use and kind of developer community integration and those, those types of things that, 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 uh, that need to be done. But I, I think you're right. I think that the, um, uh, the, the, the the transactional side hasn't hasn't necessarily evolved as at the same at the same pace or at least it has been a it's been sort of a divergent ev- evolution rather than a convergent evolution mm. it seems to be too like I, i'm noticing as well you know there's also the rise of the data app right data applications embedded analytics um kind of the whole nine yards stuff that you were actually it sounds like you're working on the startup toy back in the way back in the day as well but now it's this is doable and it's happening, right? Applications like I, I would argue that Uber isn't, it's basically a giant data application at the end of the day. So, um, sure. but with the they're rise one of our, they're one of our customers and, and oh, uh, I think, sorry. you know, they, uh, I think one of the reasons they, I mean, they, they don't like to use external technology, but I think, we, you know, the, the, we, you know, we, we've been able to solve some of the, some of the data problems that they have been having in, in a way that, that, you know, they realize would just, you know, with enough engineers, uh, you know, any problem is uh, any problem is shallow. Um, but like, just sometimes it's not worth it's not worth spending the 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 time and energy on on that. And so they 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 do use us for a bunch of cases where they need high high scale, low uh, low latency, uh, high concurrency. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, congrats on them being a customer. That's pretty awesome. So. Um, and I, I guess how does this how does the role of a software engineer evolve then? Uh, and, and I guess the creation of applications where before it was very discrete, right? Like I would have my MySQL database, or maybe a Postgres database as a backend, but now there's these analytical applications I can do on top of that. I mean, because traditionally the roles had been bifurcated with software engineer over here, analyst over here. These people don't talk to each other <laughs> at all. Maybe the analyst asks the software engineer some questions like, why is the data in your transaction app wrong? And they're like, I don't know, you figure it out. You're the analyst. So, and that's kind of, and that's traditionally how it's been. And, you know, in, in quite a bit of, uh, quite a few companies and quite a few applications, but now, you know, it's with the rise of data applications, it's sort of, now there's this feedback loop where you have an app getting data doing something with it, then it goes back into the app. I mean, do you have any ideas of how, how kind of the, these, these roles and, and their, um, I guess, the creation of these applications changes as maybe there's a convergence of uh, these technolo- database technologies? Yeah, I think that, uh, that the role of the engineer is, is going to change a little bit. Uh, and, and I think machine learning is, is, is causing that to accelerate. And I think the mm-hmm. desire is you want to be able to have your application you know, change its behavior, but in regards to what is happening elsewhere in the, in, in the data and, you know, machine learning is the, is a kind of a way of, of kind of encoding that where you have a machine learning model that, in, that encodes, that encodes, you know, what is in the underlying data. Uh, you know, a machine learning model is almost a way of just sort of, it's a data, a data compression or data summarization. And you use that model to, to, to sort of impact what you show to the to the end user, um, and 
And so I think we, you know, you saw that first on the analytics side and people wanting to make data-driven decisions. Um, and then you want to be able to make automatic decisions, uh, you know, with, with data. Uh, and then on the, but on the application, I think it's also affecting the applications where, you know, you want your applications to be, um, to behave differently in, in different data. And, and just to use an Uber example, um, you know, like surge pricing is an example where, uh, you know, you're using the state that's going on in the in the in the rest of the world to impact what the current user is seeing, and uh, and those types of features, you know, are becoming more more uh, salient, so it's more important in uh, in applications. That's really interesting. Um, I mean, so. It's an analytical side to to SQL Store, obviously. Um, with, I suppose with the, the rise of machine learning, is there um, do you see an extension of a database, kind of as a general concept, right? So if we have a transactional analytical, is there a space for machine learning as well within a database? Um, so they kind of all holistically work together. Maybe it's a feature store, maybe it's something else. I don't know. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think that. Um... So often the way machine learning machine learning gets done is you base you take your you take your data set and then you export it somewhere into your data lake and then you have your data scientists kind of like hammering on the data set and um and they come up with a model and then you have the you know you have you figure out how to serve that model and the the that model you know lives somewhere and then your application connects into the model or connects into wherever you're serving and then you can do kind of real time uh, you know, real-time inferences. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces there and a lot of like places where stuff goes wrong. You have model drift, you have cases where the, you know, the code that you use to generate your features in order to, uh, in order to create the model is actually different than the code you use in your application. And so if you're not exactly doing the same things the same way, you're, you know, you you're not actually going to be getting accurate accurate um, predictions. So um, there's, I think there's a better way, and I think that you know, single store and with, with some tech that we're working on can help you all, help offer a better way, which is, you know, you can do in database uh, model building, and you know that's you know so BigQuery, um, I think was one of the I, the first modern data data warehouses to be able to do in database model right. um so you can you know and then it connects just to, to tensorflow and you can do you know bigquery machine learning um uh you can build a bunch of different types of models over your data without having to leave the data warehouse so you don't have to, the first step is the first step is solved you don't have to like extract the data uh somewhere else to do the to do the ml and that helps you you know rapidly iterate over things and and try out different uh you know you know feature feature sets etc and uh, uh, but I think where where a data pure data warehouse uh, based machine learning falls short is then how do you get to the serving part? How do you get to serving? Right. You can do batch inference, um, but you can't necessarily do serving. So in you know a database like Single Store, they can do both transactions and analytics. You can you could use Single Store um, plus some stuff that we're we're working on that that will enable you to to build your models in in the database. Um, but since you can also use single store as your system of record as your transactional database, you can do inference in the same place. So 
um, it just cuts out a whole set of, um, you know, of, of, of data movement, of data, of complexity and of, and of places where, you know, where things can go wrong. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a bit blown away when uh, BigQuery came out with the ability to do machine learning within BigQuery. I thought that was like really innovative. Um, and it, yeah, in my class, I, I use it all the time. I'm like, did you know that you could do machine learning in SQL? And people are like, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. So, but it would, it, but I also realized too, because it was it, then my wheels got got turning, right? Because in the Google Cloud ecosystem, for example, you have uh, Firebase. That's um, you know, and what I noticed with Firebase is, you know, a software engineer could basically package up um, data warehousing recommendation engines, machine learning, and like everything in basically one fell swoop done. Mm-hmm. Not to say that that's like the end all be all. I, I more thought of it as like, okay, so if it's going to get this easy to do stuff, um, I think there's a, it's sort of a harbinger of things to come, right? Because on one hand you have sort of this um, uh, bifurcation, balkanization of different data technologies and different application technologies at the same time. Um, you know, Firebase comes along, for example, and I'm like, okay, so that's a one-stop shop. It's a bit simplistic, obviously, and I think it's it's a one it's a starting point. But you kind of fast forward several years and say, okay, so what does a back end of this look like? Like, why would I need to use, um, uh, you know, Firestore, for example, and BigQuery, like, and serve models? Like, why can't it just all be sort of one thing? I don't know. Um, and but it, it, then I got thinking, okay, it's the, the, the pipeline of like kind of the feedback of machine learning back to an app, right? Like that's, that's going to be something a, maybe a software engineer just sort of just takes for granted at a certain point. Um, so um, yeah, there's, I think there's a tension between making things easier and, and making things like work correctly. Cause I think yeah. how, one of the problems with, with machine learning is it's sort of this action of the distance and like, it's hard to, mm. it's hard to debug a machine learning model. Like if the machine learning model is like telling you to do X and X is not the right thing, then it's like, well, why, why is it telling you to do X and kind of the observability of, of ML models is, uh, is quite, quite difficult. And if you're going to, the more you're going to have kind of relying on automation and automatic decision-making, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to make sure that your data is right and that your data is mm. what you think it is. Uh, and that, you know, makes all these other things like data, data cleansing and data uh, integrity and observability become all that, all that more important. That's really interesting. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody about data observability right before this, uh, this recording. And, and, and what I find interesting is that, uh, you know, the questions that this person was asking was, um, uh, you know where does where does data quality live in the in the data life cycle? I made an argument that I think if if I had my choice, it would it would exist at the source, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you see all these data quality tools sort of dealing with things after the fact. I'm like, but um, and the dichotomy right now is that with you know again it's sort of the software engineer over here, analyst over here, or machine learning engineer, or whatever. But it's like I make the data, software engineer, I lob it over the wall to you, you deal with it, and if it's wrong. That's your problem, actually, because I don't have time to fix it. This is—it seems a bit snide, but this happens all the time. Like it's basically, if you if you get an engineer, a software engineer, to fix the data at the source, like you're really lucky, is what I've seen. Um, that varies by organization, but but you know, walk me through this because with data observability um, and quality, and I think just kind of general data management becoming more kind of top of mind these days. How do you? Um, 
how do you do good data management in um, sort of a, you know, uh, like a single store or just, you know, basically, um, uh, you know, a one size uh, database? Um, it's a great, great question. I think you meant, you know, you mentioned, you know, data, data quality, you know, do you solve that at the source or at the destination? The problem about doing it at the source, I agree. If you can do it at the source, it's, it's ideal. The problem is the world changes. Mm. And so, you know, like, so if you're, if you're, um, let's say you're, you're, you're sending, you know, billing information and, um, and you're US based, so everything's in dollars and it's all simple. And then, and then you, then you are, uh, you know, you add, add additional currency support. And so trying to, trying to shoehorn that through your system so that like your backend systems don't need to change to support those existing, uh, you know, so you're going to be sending new fields or you're going to be things that used to be null or now, or things that used to be filled out or now null. Like it's very hard to enforce the quality on the source when, when the world is, when the world is changing. Um, you know, I think the way that, that something like single store can help. And I think there's a, um, it gets into the, the almost uh, religious debate between data lakes and, um, and data warehouse kind of type, type storage, whether you have, you know, do you have this like one mess of where you throw all your junk or do you have like a, a highly structured, um, a highly structured data store? Um, I, I personally believe that sort of the relational, the kind of the data warehouse storage versus the data lake storage is the better is the better way to go because it, at least it can provide a set of constraints that lets you know when something is you know it's much easier to see when something is is wrong than in your data lake where you're just you know anything anything goes, um, and uh, you know. It's it's a little bit like you know I think sort of dynamic typing versus static typing uh, of programming languages like sort of dynamic dynamic typing is like you know you work you know in Python um, you know you can send anything you want to a function and the function may or may not work but that's it's really hard to make sure it's really hard to ensure that that stuff continues to work over over time which is I think why people generally don't build large scale um, large scale Python programs. Uh, at least for for systems that have to have to work with with high reliability, um, so I, I do think that the 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 sort of the data warehousing model um, of of sort of you know strong relational um, relational backend is is the way to go, and some and something like single store, uh, you know, is you know can can help you can help it be, be even more easy because. If you're using single store as your as your transactional backend, um, you know you're not you don't have to do ETL to get it into your to your analytics schema. You just have to do a T, and um, and it's a lot easier to kind of uh, enforce consistency and constraints uh, if you have a single a single data system than if you have multiple. That's really interesting. Um... What are your thoughts on data modeling then? I know in the data warehouse world, there's uh, some, I would say, quasi uh, religions that have formed around uh, data modeling, right? So you got Kimball, Inman, Data Vault's increasingly becoming popular too. Um, how does that work in, in, in something like a single store? Would I, would I have like my transactional tables over here? Then I um, do the T, transform it into my store schema. And if so, like what, is, what does that look like in a system where 
things are unified. Because if I have my data warehouse over here and I have my uh, source, systems, source systems over here, I just you know extract it, load it, transform it within the the data warehouse. Um, but like you know, from a I guess from a technical um, perspective to start with, like what what does that look like? This 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 transformation over here in a single store does that pose any um, uh, I guess constraints on the transactional ends over there? Um, um, it, so it, not necessarily. So I mean, there's, okay. there's a subset of things where you know actually being able to run queries over, you know, run analytics style queries over the live the live data is you know without having to transform is is, mm. is useful. It's being uh, and it depends on how you're how you're building your data model, but often you know how many how many customers do I have? How many you know how many things are in flight you know what's what's going on you know what's going on right now can be can be very interesting to um uh, to to run against sort of the live copy of the data in general people don't do that because um you know it's you know if it's nobody wants to slow down and or put in jeopardy their uh their their system of record that you know they're running their their business on um, but with something like single store, you can actually have multiple single store clusters all accessing the same the same data. So you can have a you can have your your system of record you know compute cluster, and then you can have your analytics compute cluster that that operates over over that data while it's while it's live, but is not going to slow anything down. So that's um, so that there's there's that subset of things where where there's sort of not any data modeling going on. Um, but then you can also do you know. It, there's a there's a large set of use cases where you do want to have a more regularized schema. You want to show, you know, not just what's what's happening now, but what is what is the sequence of things that has happened in the past. And there, you know, there is some ETL that you need to do in order to to do that. And so I think, you know, star schemas, you know, star schemas are still are still highly relevant. They're how people want to do things. You know, I, I think at Google we tried, you know, we tried to convince people at one point that. You should denormalize your data, uh, and you can use nesting and arrays to um, uh, to make that to make that easier. Um, and that and, and because you know from the experience internally at Google, at Google basically everything was everything at Google was denormalized into basically a single record type. It was called I think it's Gwislog Proto or whatever, but I think it had multi, it had several million fields. Um, it was it was an entire it was a mess. So, I mean, but like, but it's like, yeah, you can denormalize everything into in, into one. It's not it's not always, uh, it, and it makes it it makes the processing a lot easier because you can just do things in a single. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the world didn't want to go that way. Like the world, like I think that like the world wants wants like a Kimball, like once a once a star mm. schema. They like slowly changing dimensions and all that all that stuff. So you know, like that 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 isn't that isn't going away. And I think the trying the the nesting and repeating while it it's great from a technical perspective uh it's it makes things like like you know connecting your bi tool a lot a lot harder because you know tableau doesn't know how to deal with you know with with a nested schema and right um and the kind of the the funky uh, sequel that you have to you have to generate to 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 do even some simple simple things that's such a good point I, you know i do remember when bigquery came out uh, and I, I, was, I was evaluating it back and like must have been the early mid 2010s. I can't quite remember, but I was at the time I was like, okay, like, what is this? Um, like it, it's almost a data warehouse, but I'm not sure how I would describe it. Um, it's very googly. 
um, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, so yeah. I think Google, you know, to be fair, like Google, I think that the, the technology Google makes is amazing. Google Cloud has, you know, and Google internally, I'm sure they have some like science fiction level tools. Um, but the way it was marketed was, was like, I don't get it. Um, and the same way it was App Engine was the same way when that came out. Like I remember looking at that in like late 2000s or 2010 or something. And I was like, I, I think I understand what this, it's kind of like Heroku, but it's not. And I don't know what, and I'm like, I'll just get a VM. This doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> right. Cause it was like, by the time I put use this, I'm like, this has too many handcuffs on it. Like I, you know, I kind of want the flexibility of a VM. Now, obviously things are changing, you know, um, but I felt the same way about BigQuery. Like it, it seemed like, okay, if it's good enough for Google, it's good enough for me, but I just don't know what this is supposed to do. Cause it, and then the white denormalized thing, like threw me off. Cause I was like, well, but everyone wants a star schema because that's what you're supposed to do in a data warehouse, right? Like you pull my star schema from my cold dead hands, kind of, you know, to, to paraphrase something. But, and that's a, the feedback I got from other business users as well and analysts. Like, it, I, can I can I do a star schema in that? It's like, I don't know. They say it's wide and denormalized. So maybe. So yeah, I, it was like trying to convince some of the engineers that uh, that joins were important was very difficult. If that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, that was that was many years ago. And I think yeah. at we realized, hey, what we have is almost a data warehouse, just like what you said. Um, and if we add these these things, we can be a great data warehouse. And I think that was a big, uh, a big turning point in, um, in, in BigQuery. Um, you know, and I think I mean, it's sort of like uh, what I see is, is so similar to single store is like, you know, like, so BigQuery, we had this amazing tech and we knew that we were solving something. We, we knew that there was something there and it needed a couple of like couple of tweaks to to make to make it sort of universal. And then to also be able to solve not just the data warehousing problem, but, you know, I think BigQuery was one of the first data platform. Everybody else started calling their data warehouse a data platform. Mm. Uh, because there was an un- underlying problem that's broader than a data warehouse that that I think BigQuery was solving, and I think I, I you know I believe SingleStore is, is in that same pattern as a sort of there's an underlying problem that we can solve of sort of data intensity and um, and that goes beyond you know pure analytics and pure and pure applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I've also found too it's. I think that with a lot of companies, the technology is there, but it's also just the messaging, right? Because you're trying to advocate to a broader community. You have your internal advocates and you know, you guys will pat each other on the backs all day. It's like, yeah, we got the best tech ever. It's great. Yeah, I know we're killing it. But then you get it to the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the real world and, and market it. And then people are like, you either get it or you don't, right? I think like Snowflake did a really good job where they just, they knew how to sell the enterprise. You know, they had a data warehouse. They just, you know, it was like, it's a data warehouse. We're going to replace Redshift. And people are like, thank goodness, you're going to do that. So, and they just, they killed it with that. But I noticed that just, it's one thing to have the tech, but also the messaging behind it, getting the um, the community kind of rallied around it. Like that's also a big challenge. I was talking to somebody at, um, you know, a friend of mine who works at a, a tech startup the other day, they do data products. And it was, he's like, yeah, we have this amazing team, you know, we got the amazing tech, but it's just, it's the, the real challenge isn't that. It's like, just how do you get people to get on board with, with your message and what you're trying to do. I don't know if, you know, if you have any thoughts around that, but. I will say that that was, that was one of the things that was most surprising to me coming from, coming from Google Mm. is just how much harder it is to, to get your message out and to, um, you know, kind of get, get awareness and, and uh, you know, just because, you know, at, at Google, you have, Google didn't even spend that much money on marketing. It's just the, the fact that it's Google, 
mm-hmm. kind of people took it seriously. And I think if you're a if you're a startup, uh, you know, people don't always don't always take you take you that seriously. And uh, and so things you kind of can take for granted at, at at a larger company can can be a lot a lot harder. And so I mean, I think that's one of the things that you know we 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 raised funding you know uh, last last summer when we didn't actually need need more money, but we're like. We want to, you know, we think we've got an amazing product that's relevant to a huge swath of users, uh, but we have low awareness, and so let's let's focus on, you know, on on you know demand generation and and marketing and and an awareness generation, um, so that we can uh, we can tell the world how um, you know how cool the stuff that we've built is and how useful it is. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Matt Turk's um, data landscape slides. He, every year he has like the 2021 version, the 2020 version. And I think it started with the 2012 version, which was, it's just a, it's just a kind of a landscape of logos in mm. different um, verticals and stuff. But I remember the 2012 version was like, that was big, but you compare it to now and there's just a lot of companies in the data space doing, um, and, and the crazy thing that's like, they're all, they all have the pedigrees you'd expect. Like I went to Stanford or someplace and did computer science. And I went to, you know, um, I, I would call it a fang, but I don't know what it's called anymore. Um, cause Facebook changed your name and so forth. But then everyone raises a lot of money and then it's kind of like, okay, so like how it's just competing in this, this current landscape is, um, it's definitely challenging for sure. And so, um, like, I don't know if there's a, if there's, if the playbook needs to be rewritten or if it just, you know, or what, but it just seems like it's, it's definitely a, a you know a big challenge these days for for anybody trying to compete in the tech space. So sure, I mean we yeah. we just had a, a pretty big win. You know we got onto the uh, the the new Gartner combined uh, cloud mm-hmm. database Magic Quadrant, and um, and so that was you know there's 20, 20 companies. You know Windows down the large data space to to twenty companies, and yeah. um, and that just sort of. I think gives a lot of enterprises kind of permission to to buy your to buy your tech. So I think mm-hmm. that I think that helps from the from the awareness side. That's cool. Um, Congrats on that, by the way. I saw that. I thought you posted that. Was, that's 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 really awesome. Thank you. And I also think you know partnerships can can help as well. Mm-hmm. Like you, know, you just you get you you kind of hook yourself to the right um, the right partners, and you kind of you win you can win together, and you can have a you know one plus one equals you know twelve kind of kind of yeah. Thing. I think partnerships are definitely key. Um, we partner with a lot of companies and it's just one of those things where I feel like, you know, going to bat for, you know, the companies we work with and they go into bat for us, just, it tends to have a good uh, synergy and it's important these days just because there is so much competition. Um, and, and it's, it, it's interesting too. Like I look at the observability space, for example, and it seems like every day somebody has an observability company that's just launched and I, it's like, I, cool. So now, now it's like a thousand companies or something. I don't know, but, but, you know, I, I, I hope everyone does really well. I mean, the nice thing is the data space, I think it's still as, as, as long as it's been around, it still feels like it's early days and it feels like there's a lot of rejuvenation in the field. Like, you know, the cloud's still in early days too. I think depending on who you talk to the cloud, like companies that have adopted the cloud are like anywhere from 10 to maybe 30%, if even that. So mm-hmm. depending on who you believe, some people say it's a hundred percent, but I think that includes like using stuff like Gmail or something, which doesn't, in my opinion, really count. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, something like the modern data stack, for example? Um, do, do you have any opinions on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the modern data stack, you know, is you know, you know, people are sa- are saying, you know, DBT, uh, you know, like Fivetran DBT. 
Snowflake. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, I think the, I think we are still in early days and I think, you know, uh, Snowflake is sort of taking an early, early lead. Databricks is sort of uh, out there saying that they are, um, you know, they want to go head to head against, against Snowflake. And, you know, I think it's single store. We want to approach it from a kind of a slightly different, slightly different direction. Um, you know, like the, the data warehouse is still not the way that you want to want to build your applications. Like, mm. you know, I think, and, uh, and if, you know, end users are hitting your data warehouse, then in generally you've done, you're doing something wrong. Um, and, uh, and so we're kind of, we want to approach it from that, from that perspective and sort of like, okay, there, yes, there's a modern data stack over here, but we, we want to be able to augment that with, um, you know, with with some of the stuff that we're doing, and not necessarily say we're gonna we're gonna go head to head against um, against against Snowflake. Uh, you know, we're not, we don't want to play on their on their turf. We want to sort of change the change change the game. We're going to be over in um, you know making your applications faster. That's a good point too, because I think the the thing that's missing from the current modern data stack paradigm is the um, a lot of these data warehouses aren't aren't made for like true real time data applications like low latency queries. Like, you know, when we work with Snowflake, but I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that they, you know, a customer put that up against like a real time dashboard where it's getting pinged by millions of users at the same time because it's going to get very expensive unless you have the budget for it. In which case, like, go for it. Um, I'm sure Snowflake would be very happy to you know for you you to to do that. Um, but you know, a lot of companies don't have those kind of pockets either and so you know it does require a lot of finesse right now and there's definitely some great point and solutions out there you could go with like a roxad or a pino or you know imply but it, again you still have to get your data in yeah right and that's kind of the, the challenge um and then how do you do this right now you know you have a, you can do it event-based or you can do a change data capture and these are all paradigms that are definitely growing in scope but i think what what you're kind of saying is well what if it's just all in like the same spot anyway then you don't need the pipes right so yeah, and I mean, we work really well. If, even if you don't, I mean, we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we have really high speed ingestion. We we can do. I remember at BigQuery, we were very proud that you could do. You know, BigQuery streaming. You can do. You know, we can mm-hmm. stream like a gigabyte per second into a table. Um, but those were all appends, and so like appending to a table is you know generally pretty easy. You just you know you think about it, you write to the end of a log. Uh, you know, single store can do that scale or more, but updates. And that's really hard because you, you know, you, you have to find, find what, you know, find the row and update it. Uh, it, And it's not just, it's not just an append. You either have to do it at, at, you know, you do it at, you know, you could do it at insert time or you can do it at query time, uh, you know, or, or a mix of a mix of the two, but still it's, it's still a lot harder. And, and so single story is very good at, at getting, you know, getting data in quickly and, um, and updating it. That's impressive. So it almost suffice some laws of physics, but it just sounds <laughs> awesome. So that's really cool. Um, I guess, where, where do you see the world of data in general going over the next three to five years? Kind of a broad question, but I'd like to ask it. Um, you know, I think I, I would say the, you know, the, the, this, this data warehouse storage versus data lake storage I would, I, my prediction is that's going to be resolved in favor of the, of the sort of the data warehouse style storage where you have a, a relational, uh, a relational data store. Um, I think a lot of people have, 
you know, giant data lakes, and I don't think they like them. Uh, so when I was at when I was at Google, we had a customer advisory board that was uh, actually it was uh, some of the like CIOs, CTOs of of Fortune 50 companies. So some of the, the this was actually this the room that I was in was like I think probably the most high powered room I've ever I've ever oh, been wow. in. And uh, and so we were you know I was talking to them about you know data and about. And you know we had somebody at at uh, at Google who was who was interested in in a Google Data Lake product, and so we were trying to push Data Lake on these guys and uh, uh, and uh, or these 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 folks and they um, and so I asked so what do you think about what do you think about data lakes and like the, that was the one thing they all agreed on is like you know I've got a data lake and I hate it is like and I was like oh yeah mine's a data swamp and mine you know it's like it's like <laughs> we don't we want to go in the opposite we want to go in the opposite direction and. Um, and, uh, you know, yes, that was, you know, there were some failures of, of technology, but I think one of the problems that a data lake is like, is it's just, it ends up being like this, this dumping ground for, mm. for, for everything. And, you know, I think that the lake house is, is a, I think, I feel like it's a clever hack that makes your data lake less like abominable. Um, but, uh, I, I also think that it's, you know, the, when you get into things like you know you want you want better governance you want to have you know you know fine grain fine grain access controls you want life cycle policies um, you know all these things become much harder to do and and data and you want data to be you know fresher and updated faster all these things are really hard to do in a in a lake house if you're you know in a, in something where you're constrained to give people access to physical files. Because if you give people access to physical files, then you can't say this user is only allowed to see this field, uh, or this user is only allowed to see this rows because because they have the file, like they they you know they can read the data. And yeah, they're they're goofy things like Ranger and things you can put on top of that. But I, I feel like these are sort of hacks that are trying to fix an underlying broken model. Um, whereas you know, kind of the in a in a in a data in a data warehouse. You can, you know, you're giving, you're giving the abstraction you're giving people is not a file abstraction; it's a table abstraction, and you can, you can do a lot um, in that uh, to to give people, you know, reliable, uh, you know, correct uh, and highly highly governed uh, highly governed data. Um, so I think that that's like that's that's sort of my one my one prediction, and I I think that you know a lot of folks would dis disagree with me on on that one. Um, but I think if you think about it, like the whole reason a data lake was created was because sort of technological limitations in the scalability and of of data warehouse storage, and they lacked separation mm. of storage and compute. Well, now those technical limitations are are gone. They've been kind of obliterated. Uh, you know, all the major data warehouses and databases, including single store, have have separation of storage and compute. And you know, so you kind of you don't you don't get a you don't get a cost or a storage advantage um, by to having having a data lake anymore, um, and it's a lot easier to kind of to maintain and understand what you have in your in your in your data warehouse. Mm, that's a really good insight. Yeah, this is um, yeah. I, I think it's going to be an exciting few years. There's just so much shakeup going on in the industry. But and as you say, it's, it's we talk about data. There's also the transactional aspect, which is just you know, sort of, you know, it, its own thing. Um, yeah, this is, 
I don't know where it goes. So, um, and it's crazy because I talk to a lot of people, you know, in the industry, like, you know, people like yourself and stuff. And it's, um, it, yeah, I, I just, um, all I know is it's, it's definitely not going to be what it is today. And so, but at the same time, I find it really interesting too, because a lot of the same problems that I've, I've seen in data for 20 years are the same problems we're talking about now. And it's not really anything that has to do with technology. I guess talking about, uh, this was somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it's like um, trusting data, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get into a meeting, you know, somebody asks, yeah, these numbers, are they right? This seems kind of off like that. That's still the same problems that we've had 20 or 20 plus years. And the, the tech gets better, but it, it, you know, at the end of the day, there's definitely still some underlying things that I, I think still should be solved and we're making progress for sure. But sure. And those, those um, problems are just getting bigger. Like I think because yeah. people are relying on, you know, making big decisions based on data and KPIs and all these. And like, if you're, if your data isn't exactly what you think it is and is not entirely trustworthy, then, um, then you're going to be making the wrong decisions. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then if you want software to make those decisions for you so that you can make them faster, then you're not even going to be able to know why you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Just doing dumb things faster. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, kind of switching gears a bit, you know, I mean, see you a lot, you know, on social media, You've, you're obviously, you know, a very high profile in the, in the data world. But, um, but what do you do outside of, um, you know, your working hours? Um, you know, I do a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, reading and I, I try to stay, I try to stay active, try to stay fit. I used to be a runner, did a lot of marathons, uh, recently been doing, uh, you know, rowing. Um, but I think actually one thing that is sort of like my biggest defining thing is just, I like to walk and, um, you know, like, you know, every, every weekend, my wife and I usually like, we go on, we call it adventure lunch. We just sort of walk out the door and figure out what neighborhood to go to and then figure out where to eat, you know, spend a couple hours, spend a couple hours walking. Uh, maybe it's just cause I'm a little bit ADD, but I just sort of like to keep moving. And, um, it's actually how I met my wife as we were in college and we were, our dorm was the furthest away from campus and there was a shuttle and most people would take the shuttle and like, she and I were like the only ones that pretty much every day would, would walk. And like, I kind of saw her in the, like these, you know, her blue, bright blue gloves, like, uh, you know, walking, trudging in the snow. And I'm like, this is an interesting, this is an interesting person. And, um, and so we, yeah, we've always, always loved to walk, you know, other travel and like you go to a new city and, you know, just spend the day, spend the day walking. Um, so I think that's, that's sort of my number one, like, uh, kind of distinguishing thing that I like to, that I like to do. How many steps do you think you get? Uh, you know, it depends. Like, you know, like, uh, but, uh, I go like we were just in New York a couple of weeks ago and like, you know, I, you know, got 30,000, 30,000 steps. And That's like, like the best city for walking, by the way. Love, love walking. It there. Yeah. It's my favorite thing too. When I'm there, I just walk. There's not really a plan. Just go yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And your step count about reflects what I would be getting too. It's like, seriously, that's insane. <laughs> so that's really cool. Do you do uh, like walking meetings? Yes. That's actually, I, I love doing walking meetings. Uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I used to be, when I was at Google, like there was a path along the canal. Um, and so basically do one-on-ones uh, uh, to just, you know, you go and go and, and walk and it's just a way of like, loosening things up and you can talk about ideas more. And, and uh, I think that's one thing actually that COVID has made, has made more difficult. Uh, mm. Cause we can't really, you know, I mean, you, 
if you're not in the office, it's harder to 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 uh, um, to to meet up. But you know, right. I still have had a couple of you know walking walking one on ones and. Um, and sometimes, sometimes like, uh, I'll take a, take a meeting one-on-one on the phone so I can actually walk and, you know, walk and talk. Oh, that's funny. I do that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. I I think the art of walking, um, you know, especially in America is definitely one of those kind of lost arts in a way. Um, like I live in Salt Lake city where it's probably the the least walker friendly place, probably outside of like Texas, just name your city there. But, um, yeah, where where are you located right now? Uh, I'm in Seattle. Okay. So Seattle is quite a good, quite a good walking, walking city. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I lived in Texas for a couple of years and you know, I my wife would sometimes walk to the grocery store and people would like, like think she was crazy. They would like pull over and like say, Hey, you know, do you need a ride? Uh, like, <laughs> cause like, you know, it felt really, felt really bad, bad for her, you know, on, on foot. Um, you know, true, true. It was probably like 110 degrees out, but, uh, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. It, so different places, you know, and I, you know, when we, when we travel, we like to go places that like are, are walking places like, like New York, like, like London, you know, et cetera. But like, rather than, you know, going to the beach and like kind of laying, laying on the beach, you go a little bit crazy, uh, you know, at, uh, at resorts where you can't, can't necessarily go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like I can't, I don't like resorts at all. Like my dad, he's, he's to live in a uh, bouquet on the beach there. And I was just like, this is, it's fun for a couple of days. We're just bored senseless. So we'd go on walks actually all the time. We're running, you know, along the, uh, kind of in the jungles around there, or at least the, the roads around the jungles. You don't go to the jungle and get hit by a cobra. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one reason somebody was asking me why I live in Salt Lake. And it's like, well, it's, it's a nice place. Cause you can go trail running just like literally probably five minutes from the house. Um, you know, and you could probably go for about a hundred miles if you wanted to, but or not, but yeah, so it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know personally, like I try and find locations where you can do a lot of physical activities. Um, just cause, I don't know if I'm in like a constrained city that we can't do anything. It's just kind of go crazy. So that's interesting. Well, it's good to meet a fellow Walker. I didn't, didn't know you were into that. So, um, well, awesome, man. I think uh, coming up on time, but um, for people who want to learn more about you, how would they? How would they do that? Um, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Twitter on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is just my name with the vowels taken out. And hmm. uh, um, also, you know, feel free to connect on on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, cool. And single store obviously is. Uh... I'm guessing singlestore.com or something. So yeah, it's, uh, you, you can email me. I'm Jay Tigani at singlestore.com. Um, cool. And yeah, happy to happy to have people reach out. Awesome. Well, it's been an honor having you on. Like I said, I've um, always been a big fan of, of your work. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. So thanks so much. This was fun. Yeah. yeah thanks. All right. Thanks. Sir.